here we are, back again for episode four of the Boot Room podcast. This week I wanted to try something a little bit different. So I decided to invite one of my best friends onto the podcast for a one-on-one style interview as although we've probably been friends for over 10 years at this stage, I don't think we've ever sat down and actually spoke in depth about football. Now, Jimmy, he's played for a range of clubs such as Chester, Altrigham, Colwyn Bay and AFC Fylde and was given an opportunity to join Crew Alexander at a later age of 25 years old. We talk about our experiences in playing non-league football and try to shed some light on a side of the game that people don't always see. Plus, Jimmy talks us through the chance that he got later in life to become a professional footballer. I hope you all enjoy it. Absolutely delighted to have one of my oldest friends and teammates, James Jimmy McCarthy, joining me tonight. Now, what we do, Jim, as I know you've been listening to all three episodes so far, is I want new guests to start every show by telling us their favorite moments in football. Now, that can be watching, but as I know you weirdly don't like to watch much football, um, I'll, I'll, I'll have <laughs> it as play, you Or play for that matter. Oh, well, we'll come on to that, mate. <laughs> we'll come on to that. So if you could start by telling the listeners your favorite moments on a football pitch, and I think that I know what it will be, but go on, surprise me anyway. <laughs> I mean, this is... There's, there's, there's two for me when, when, when you put it down to favourite moments on a football pitch, and weirdly, one of them isn't mine. It's, it's one of yours. Uh, oh God, where so, are we going with this now? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was that time as you, as you alluded to in the last episode of you being played right back, and I think I was weirdly enough on the bench for one game. Yeah, you were. I just come back from broken leg. And you've just been put to right back. And you, I think it must have been the first five or ten minutes and you got the ball and you absolutely sprayed that Diag. And we still joke about it now because it was the biggest, the best Diag I've ever seen in my life. Straight from right back, about 80 yards to the left winger's foot. I think I actually looked at you after I did it as if oh, to man. say... You 100% <laughs> looked at me was like... Oh my God, that was amazing. And that, that memory's always stuck out in my mind on a football pitch more than anything I've ever played or done. See, that's that's interesting because, and for the people listening, me and Jimmy have been best friends now for, for a long time. And I honestly can say, I don't think we've ever sat down and spoke properly about football, yeah. which I find which I find bizarre because, and, and we're going to come on to this later, and I'm not just saying it because you're, you're, you're one of my best friends. You're one of the most technically gifted footballers that I've ever played with. But the strange thing is, I would say that you don't come across as somebody that necessarily loves football on, on the surface. Because I think when, when you play the game, you, you're quite relaxed. You want to have fun. Um, you know, it, you, nothing, nothing on the football pitch is too serious to you. Whereas I'd probably be the polar opposite to that. I had nowhere near the technical ability that you had. But I think what got me through matches was maybe my de- desire to win, my desire to compete, to, to maybe try and bring other players down to my level by engaging in physicality. Would you say? Would you say that that's fair? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, for me, like you say, I, and and you know me, and if anyone's listening that knows me, i.e., your mum and my mum, <laughs> and, and possibly our wives, my wife and your your future wife. Um, knows me that I'm probably one of the most laid back people 
uh, going. There's there's absolutely nothing that that can get me phased or riled or anything along them lines. So I've always had that on on the pitch, and it's it's often it it can benefit you or it can often be a detriment as well because it looks like you know you're not really that bothered because you're not running around like a headless chicken. You're not you're not flying into tackles. You're not you're not doing stuff that people in our game love. You know the average fan in non-league love people flying in and and you know going for a header but not heading the ball and heading the guy's head and getting up and going get in there yeah we love that so you know that's that's kind of how I've been so in terms of like you say going back to the original question the favorite football moment on a football pitch hence why you know I can't really remember that many moments obviously I can but you know it's never been you know, elation or, or you know, real down in the dumps. I've I've been promoted and I've been relegated, and the two feelings are often are often met with the same the same emotions from me because it, it, it's never been about life and death for me about football. And you know, I do I, I watch a lot of football, but I just don't buy in, not buy into it. I don't let the emotion of it get over me. Whereas you. <laughs> I knew yeah. that was coming. Whereas <laughs> you, I know if I mentioned the name Jordan Henderson and crap in the same sentence, <laughs> you're leaving groups and it's all, you know, it's all hell to pay. So, um, but yeah, I mean, going back to my football uh, favourite moment for me um, in terms of, of playing is probably um, getting promoted from from the Evo stick prem. Um, and actually I didn't play in the game. It was a semi-final when I was at Colwyn Bay and I scored in the semi-final um, with a header winning goal. It turned out to be but in the, in the, in the, during the header, um, I collided with the defender's head straight in the eye and that's come off at half time. And subsequently um, after that game, I had a, uh, a black eye that even a you know a world heavyweight boxer couldn't. Um, so but that that by that for you it fuels the narrative, mate. If you score a header, then you go off injured. You know, Roy of the oh, Rovers yeah. stuff. It's You'd the love that. I've ever I've ever challenged in the air though. That was the thing. I don't know what was up with me. It just saw me name in head uh, in lights and uh, saw me name in lights. So yeah, and then I missed the final, but I was there watching through one eye. Um, trying to I actually tried to play and my manager tried to get me playing. I literally couldn't see through one eye. Uh, in true non-league style. true non-league style, yeah. Um, but we, we won and got promoted, so it was a good day. And the, the, the next question before we move on, I suppose, in, in a little bit more detail into the, the non-league side of things, is what player, when you were growing up, did you model your game on? Uh, what Three stages of my life that have... have of my uh, sort of I modeled my football career on or, or I wanted to anyway so growing up I was I was one of them guys who supported Man United as you do you know, everyone has a little a little turn of supporting Man United obviously not you but anyone outside thanks, of Liverpool shall we say yeah thanks uh, for correcting that. <laughs> um so yeah it was Ryan Giggs um when I was when I was 10 11 um he was he was a the player that I looked to, I did. Po- it's probably the only player I've ever had posters on my wall. And subsequently, when I moved from Nottingham to to Stoke, 
I had a Man United shirt with Giggs on the back. And ever since then, that was my nickname within Stoke was Giggsy because no one knew my name. I turned up with the black Man United kit with the yellow writing on the back with Giggs on the back. Um, so he was the first one. And obviously we all, even you, had a Beckham face. Um, I think I've still got one, mate. <laughs> mate, I'm trying to grow, grow my hair, but it's, uh, it's uh, the... Uh, we're getting older now, Jim. It's a little bit thin on the top, mate. I know, I know. So, you know, I had my beck and phrase with the with the blonde Mohican and, and the mullet. And then for my style of game, when, when Cristiano Ronaldo came over, he, he was like, he was the one for me that's um, with the step overs and the tricks and the orange boots. And that, that was a bit of me that. Well, um, don't don't jump too far ahead because we'll, we'll definitely be coming <laughs> on to, to all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that brings me nicely on to, to non-league and, and we've spoke a little bit today once we decided that you were going to come on and yeah. we were talking, I suppose, about topics that we could cover. And I, and I know from from my side, and, and I know you kind of share the same sentiments, that when people hear the term non-league, I'm not sure, I'm not sure they really understand what what's required um, of the players to, to play in non-league, you know, what, what type of dedication that's involved. Yeah. You know, if, if you've not been exposed to it or, you, or you've not been aware of it, then, you know, it's, it's probably difficult for them to quantify. So for you, someone who now, is it 45 clubs you've had at this stage, Jim? Uh, times two, I think, mate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for someone that, that's had so many clubs and, and been around that scene for so long, you know, how would you describe to somebody that's perhaps not aware, you know, what does it take to be a, a non-league footballer and, and what sort of factors would come into play? I mean, to start off with, you're absolutely spot on when people see non-league. And and even the word non-league means you're not, you know, it it just sounds like you're not playing in a league. It it doesn't, you know, the world evolves evolves around premiership football. So you often see sort of FA Cup round one, don't you? And, And our old club, Warrington, were in there. And it's often classed as, you know, plucky non-leaguers and, you know, they, they often go into what people's day jobs are, you know, plumbers and uh, brickies and stuff like that. And people just don't realise, actually, it probably takes more dedication to be a non-league footballer than it would do to be a premiership footballer or, or a pro footballer for that fact. And, and you know, I can vouch for that because I've, I've been in both worlds near enough Um so in terms of being a non-league footballer, what people don't realise is, is, you know, at the age of 16 to, to 32 or 33, whatever, how long you're playing, you're going to work at 7am in the morning, um, driving a car for however long, going to work for, for nine hours, seven and a half hours, whatever it is. And then after work, you've often either going to training for, for two, three hours. Um, and if that's not even going to an away match on a Tuesday night where you're leaving work at five and you've got to be at Workington for seven o'clock, uh, which is, you know, two and a half hour trip away. So you have to leave work early and, and get there and, and then play your football on a, on a Tuesday night when you've been, you've been absolutely knackered at work. And, and then you've got another two and a half hours journey to get home. Um, and then once you're home at one, two a.m., you're back up at seven a.m. You know, you don't get the day off the next day like, pro footballers do so the actual dedication that it takes is is really quite strenuous on any person and now that depends on on the person as well because you, you often play with people and 
in non-league, that, that'll be their main job. A lot of non-league footballers class it as a full-time job. Depending, um, on, depending on their wage, I suppose. on wage. And even still, you know, I, I, I played with players who weren't earning a lot but didn't have day jobs. So that's a lot easier than, you know, people like myself. So when I was a student and you were a student, it was easy because you didn't have anything to get up for the next day. Well, lectures, but we didn't necessarily go to them, let's be honest. So Steady, Jim, steady. <laughs> Sorry, Mum. Uh, but, you know, the, at that stage of your life, it's easy. But when you're, you're working a full week and, and if you've got girlfriends and possibly kids to go home to, it gets a lot harder. Um, so people don't realise that and, and you often get a lot of stick from from whether it's fans and they don't, you know, you could have had a bad day at work and you take that onto the football pitch and it comes across in your game. Um, and, and, you know, you'll often then see fans having, having a go at it and you think, you know what, sometimes it I wasn't worth it. it. Yeah, it really wasn't worth it. Um, so I know, I, I know from my perspective, when I had my little brief spin, uh, stint in, in Wales, yeah. uh, playing in the Welsh Prem. Yeah. So, that now their commutes because you're oh, driving right. up the Welsh hills. Um, you take ages to get to the game, yeah. and the weird thing for me is even when we play a home game, because I was English, yeah. they'd read my name out on the tannoy, and my own fans would <laughs> boo me. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, the game hasn't even started yet. I've just I've had to leave work early to get up here, and they don't even want me playing. No. So literally, what's the point of me yeah. being here? Oh mate, I, I think out of out of 44 out of the 45 clubs I've had, they often booed me when they hear my name, mate. So I, I feel your pain. That's because you're wearing pink boots, Jim. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, pretty much. But you know, I, I totally get it, and and that's and that's what people have to to balance with. And you know, I've done that journey. I played at Colwyn Bay, so you know, I lived in Manchester at the time. So you, that journey down the A55 is is an hour and a half. Uh, and, and actually, I preferred away games because they were often up my neck of the woods. So I just, you know, what what people don't really understand is is at semi-pro level, people have other priorities in life. Um, and sometimes, and unfortunately, they are brought onto a football pitch. Um, and, and that can affect performances. It can affect... You know, if your mind's not fully on it, because you it might, you know, you might just be made redundant at work, or you know, your company might be closing down. So you take that onto a pitch, and you're not you're not going to be at hundred percent. And that's you know, that's a massive difference between league football and, and non-league football. You're going on there with with you know a, a ten pound bag on your back already to try and carry because you you've got other things on your mind. Well, I think that's the thing about league football is they they try to create an environment where they remove all the stresses and the strains. Whereas at non-league level, it's your problem isn't really our problem. Get out there and and, and win us a game of football. 100% right, yeah. And that's that's why they live in that bubble. You know, footballers these days don't even know how to play gas bill um, in in that premiership world. Some non-league footballers might not be able to afford to pay their gas bill. And that's and that's the difference that you're taking out onto the pitch. Um, um, and with that, what would you say then would be the biggest misconception about playing semi-pro football? Because I know from my side, I don't know if it's there's probably not. It's a lovely link that, by the way, by the gas bill to to this biggest misconception that I'm going to talk about now. That's a lovely link, I think. 
See, go on then, mate. What have you, what have you got for me? <laughs> well, I, for me, the biggest, you know, and I've had this a lot, the biggest misconception about playing semi-pro football is that you're absolutely rolling in the cash by playing football. Um, don't get me wrong, there's a few clubs out there where you may be able to earn a very decent standard living. You're talking your Salfords, your Fylds, you know, the people with a, a big financial backers. But your average times that you're playing non-league football, you're earning 100 to 200 quid. Now, when you take into account Tuesday nights matches, Thursday night training, you're out all day Saturday. That That is a lot. You know, you could work all day Saturday and earn 70 quid by, by just working, not taking into the, the Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, you know, the, the stress that you've got of, fans getting on the back is the club going to want me you know that sort of stuff so for me the biggest and 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 I've had this because I because I've moved from one club to another and people think it's mainly due to to financial reasons but the real life situation is that you're probably going to get an extra 25 30 quid more um and and going back to my original point is people will often say well he's moved for for money but at the end of the day like I say People have got food to put on the table. A lot of people supplement football by their jobs, and and, it, and it's a it's a massive income stream for them. So you know, if in your work someone offered you a five grand pay rise, you know, I'm talking sort of you know in in perspective here, but someone offered you a pay rise, you're going to take it, aren't you? So, um, and for those that don't know, Jim, you know, how does the the payment structures work, and how can they vary from from club to club? So, for example, if you're a player, obviously clubs give out contracts. If you're a player that's that's on a contract, um, how would that work versus perhaps players that aren't on yeah. contracts but are more sort of pay pay as you play? Well, that's and this is where the issues in non league come. So, you know, it, not the I'd say ninety eight percent of non league players lower than you know conference north aren't on a contract now to any listeners that aren't really uh, adverse to the non-league game that means if you don't play in the 16 you don't get paid so if if a club decides that you're not in that match day squad you're not getting your weekly wage you know whether that's 50 7500 quid now what that also means is i've been at clubs where you may be earning a decent wage and it comes to three quarters towards the end of the season and the club aren't going to get promoted and not going to get relegated. So what are they going to do? They're going to, they're going to try and save money because they're going to go, you know, they want to plan for next year. So they will then either, which I've had done to me, they don't play you because of that. So they, they're literally not playing, you know, I'm not saying I'm the, the best player, but, one of the one of the better players due to financials or they'll just turn around and say to the squad we're slashing the wage budget you know and there's not much you can do about it so that is a massive weight on your mind if you're supplementing your lifestyle with that with that money and I've had that done to me two or three times at at clubs where they've said they're going to pay you money and they don't Um, now when you're on a contract that basically means you will get paid whatever your contract says. So, i.e., as a premiership player, you get paid a, 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 a weekly, monthly wage, which is the same as a, a non-league contract. So if you're on a contract for 200 quid, whether the game gets called off or not, 
you get paid that 200 quid. And that's another thing, yeah, going into sort of the non-contract side of it. If a game gets called off on a Saturday and moved to a Tuesday, you don't get paid for that Tuesday. You get paid Saturday to Saturday. So if you don't play the Saturday, you don't get paid for the Tuesday matches. So you, you again, losing um, on earnings as well. So would it, would it be fair to say then if, you know, for players that are given contracts, uh, because there's an element of, of risk for the club, because let's say, for example, you're given a, a contract. Yep. Let's say you go out in preseason and you roll your ankle or you break your leg or you do your cruciate or yep. whatever, any, any long-term injury. Mm. That club is then going to be left with having to pay that player for the remainder of that contract, even though he's not kicking a ball. So does that mean that those contracts are very few and far betwe- between in, in today's game? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and again... So, you know, if, if, but the contracts won't, you know, in the premiership, you can't play. As you know, I heard something about Warsaw couldn't play. You can sign non contracts in, in the professional game where, in fact, they thought you could play, but they can't. Whereas in semi pro, you can sign a, a registration form to be registered for the, for the club and not play and not get paid. Now, if you're on a contract, that has to go into the FA. And the FA have to implement any any wage structure that you're paying. So yeah, the risk to the club is um, a player could get injured, uh, or a player could a player could you know be out for a season. Now they only usually offer twelve month contracts or or eighteen month contracts. But on the flip side of that, if you're on non contract terms, uh, a rival club could put what what's called seven days notice of of um, to come and speak to the player and offer either similar terms or better terms. It might offer less, but it might be a higher league. And then the the club that currently is registered for the player has nothing to do. They can obviously counter offer, but if that player then wants to leave, they don't get any any fee for it. So I guess the 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 end point of that is that the contracts often get paid out to the players that that uh, the the better players that have that possibility of maybe going to a league club or maybe going to another club where you might get some um, or, or you don't want them leaving to, to any other club. Um, you offer them a contract so they know they're going to get paid every week, but they know that they can't just move willingly to, to other clubs. So if we if we move on to, I suppose, uh, more, more the football inside of things and, and particularly... Um, you know the style of the league. Now you you've obviously, and, and we'll come to this in, in in the next part of the podcast. But you've obviously um, played the the professional side, but you've also obviously played a lot of the the semi professional yeah. side. How would you summarize, or how would you sort of sum up, I suppose, the demands that it takes on on, on a player, whether it's technical demands or physical demands? I mean. In non-league, and, and you'll know this, and I'll, <laughs> unfortunately, mate, you know I love you, but I'll put you into this bracket that <laughs> very few technical, you know, really technical gifted players because players like you, Jay, will just run up and boot them in the air and, and you just, you don't get any, you don't get much protection from the referees. You don't get, you know, it's not, it's not Man City versus Liverpool, it's, it's Warrington Town versus Cliverow. You know, people are flying in, booting people, and and going away. So, in in the terms of the technical versus physical, what you generally will see is a team full of seven or eight workers, and then you might get the odd couple of players who 
who would be sort of classed as a luxury player who who could who could you know who aren't going to be flying into tackles who aren't going to be running around um, and and doing that dogged work because there's eight other players around them that that does that. And I think that that's fair, and that does actually lead me nicely into because we are polar opposites in that that respect. Um, you know, I I embrace that side, and I nearly try to create situations where I can I can have that type of physical contact, have that battle. But I take pride in doing the horrible stuff to give the ball to people like yourself who can unlock defences or do something um, creative or get people off their seats. And I suppose from your side in particular, here's a question that I've always wanted to ask you and I actually never have, is do you think, because I know from a technical standpoint, I have I have no doubts that you can play league. I've always said that to you. You know that I've always said that to you. Do you think that your style is better suited to higher leagues because when you have to play on, let's say, for example, a dodgy pitch, or let's say, for example, you've got somebody like me, you know, uh, pulling your skin or trying to pull your air or t- trying to knee you in the back of your legs every two seconds, it, it's not a normal circumstance that, you know, the, your elite level players w- would have to deal with. No, I feel, and this is, and again, not trying to sound, I don't want to come across as arrogant or big headed or, or, and I bet a lot of people will feel this as well, but. Technically, I'd, because of the game and, and how sort of the premiership and championship is run and, and having played in, in non-league and then and seeing that, the game, it, it's a lot quicker in your mind. However, the, the, the speed of closing down, the speed of sort of the, the speed of the play can be a lot slower. So the transitions from defence to midfield is more methodical rather than boot it up and let's see what we can get and you know it drops and four people are flying in so yeah in in terms of that I mean for me I for for my technical ability I I felt I could I would have been more suited higher up Um, now that probably leads to the flip side whereas my my mental attitude is probably not even fit for under eight so yeah, you, know, you can't. It's often that you know you you'll get a specimen like Ronaldo or has it all. But in terms of players that we've come across, you've either you know you you a lot of people are either technically very good, um, but don't have the work rate, so that doesn't get them very far. You've either got the work rate, so when you go high, you're not technically very good, so you, you, that creates a glass ceiling. Or you might have both, but you might not have the mental mental altitude to to be able to take that take that um, extra pressure on. So, Well, that leads me nicely actually to the next point. And that was, you know, you, you had a, an opportunity late in, in your career to, to play league football. And b- before you tell us a little bit about that and how it came about and, and the experiences w- w- within that process, what do you think it was that stopped you from playing league football? Do you think that it was it was an attitude thing? It was it was more on the mental side rather than the physical. Hundred, yeah, mental and attitude, thousands. It was just if I if I had the mental attitude of a Jonathan Greening, I could be one of the best footballers in the world. <laughs> you know, someone like that who is a bang average player. But put in the work, you know, you know, you, you've probably read Frank Lampard's book where his dad had him out in the garden doing sprints like that. 
mm. uh, getting his spikes on. And, and Harry Redknapp told a story where he was absolutely pissing it down outside and he could see some, a shadow in the, in the far end of the training ground and it was Frank doing his sprints. That has never been me. And even now I'm in a WhatsApp group with some lads in my state that I live in. And even tonight they were texting saying, anyone fancy a run? And I was sat on the sofa watching I'm a celeb thinking, I don't even fancy that now, never mind 10 years ago. So, you know, if, and that's the biggie, you know, if anyone ever asked me for any advice and the only person to ask me for advice will be my son in, in years to come. And if he hasn't got that mental strength or that mental attitude to think I've got to put this in even when you know when I went to crew I, I I was eating terrible food I was going home not doing any extra work that should you know I was given an opportunity to play professional football and my and, and you know I was that laid back about it that it, it wouldn't have got me anywhere um so well, yeah, t- tell us about that, Jim, because that was that was my next question. I suppose yeah. was, um, you know, you you got that opportunity yeah. late in your career. Who yeah. who were you playing for at the time? How how were you spotted? And and I suppose what were the what were the steps that happened that that opened the doors at, at Crew for you? Okay, uh, so I was playing. I think it was when I was at, at Warrington. Actually, um, it was that long ago, and, and that many clubs. I can't actually remember to be honest with you, mate. What I do know is. That I was playing Sunday league football for one of the um, one of the sides in Staffordshire, and the lad I played with, his dad was assistant manager at Crew, Neil Baker, and he'd been to see me quite a few times because obviously he came to watch his son. Um, and there was one game, I think we played. We started the game with ten men playing against one of the better sides, and I luckily had one of my better games for that day and, and I think I scored two, one from the halfway line and one I took three or four plays on and, and lobbed the keeper from a ridiculous angle. As you do. As you do. I mean, well, I say as you do, like, like I say, few and far between. But um, And he just said to me, like, come, what we want to bring you in. Um, I was 25 at the time, so, you know, that's quite late for, for that opportunity. Um, he wanted to bring me in. They had a game against um, Burton Albion under 23s or reserves, however, whatever it's called these days, no idea. Um, and they want you to come in and play a game. So I thought, okay. So I went and played the game. Um, again, it was young crew lads and, and a couple of trialists, um, me being one of them. Um, in the game, Burton had just bought a new keeper. I think they paid about 300 grand for him. I came on half time, ten minutes into the game, I was playing up front, some lad went up for an edit, dropped twenty yards out, turned and hit it on the half volley into the stanchion. Um uh, past this keeper who's just been bought for three hundred grand. Um and then one of the other and then ten minutes later one of the other trialists slipped me in and and uh one on one with him I sent him the wrong way. Um Give him the eyes. Give him the eyes. Um, I, if, to be honest, I think it's a bobble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> came off the heel, but uh, yeah, I gave him the eyes. And, and it was funny that there was a guy, I think it was from the um, the Glen Hoddle Football School, something like that, and uh, he was like, who's that guy there? And from that point on, they said to me, right, I was working working at the time as in an insurance brokerage, and they said, right, well, quit your job. Come and do a pre pre season, which meant you know I'll get we'll pay you whatever you're getting paid now to do two days a week. 
to try and get to that sharpness of, of the professionals. And then um, we'll bring you in for, for the whole of the preseason afterwards. Um, and, and how did that feel, Jim? Because that must have been, you know, in a, in a, to a degree, that's that's validation of something that you've probably already known that, yeah, do you know what, I, I can do this. It it was, and it was, it. you know, when you, you, you know yourself now, you're waking up and you think, bloody, I've got to go to work today. And it was like, I don't have to do that. I've got an opportunity not to do that now. Um, and, you know, I was doing it for two days a week and getting paid what I was getting at work, which was a decent wage at the time. Um, and that's where probably my biggest slip up was. And I actually joined, <laughs> I actually joined the gym um, close to my home at that time. I thought, you know what, I'll do two days. For the other three days, I'll go to the gym. <laughs> And the and on the application form it said occupation. Now I didn't have a job. I, I just quit. So what did I put? So I, I had to put. You know, do I put footballer? What do I, what do I put? So, so uh, yeah, I, I took that. That's the only time I've ever cringed at myself because I actually put footballer on the on the. At least you can say you were able to do it once, though, mate. I Not many people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but that time I should have been in the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I wasn't. You know, I was. I was at home and playing Call of Duty. Um, so that <laughs> so that just leads me back to my point about the mental side of it. But yeah, and I did that, got got fit, um, two days in the gym, which was brilliant. I actually got half a peck, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and for those listening, that is quite the achievement for yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, it is, it is. Put that picture up I sent you with the trophy, mate. They'll, they'll understand. <laughs> they'll love that one. Uh, so yeah, you know, I got I got decent enough fit and I've always been a slim guy you know for people listening that don't know me I've always been an athletic trim what previously to turning 30 I was always uh, a trim guy so I never thought I needed that but when you got to that pro stage and you're playing with players who are now you know gone to a premiership team and they're they're you know fit as you know doing the bleep test in in a dome and you know, you, you're getting level 10 and they're getting level 14, 15. You then start to realise, well, actually, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a big physical element here yeah, that, that you, you're nowhere near because you've just not had that um, experience of doing it. Now, some, like, some people do, you know, yourself, uh, yeah, you, you, some people live in the gym, but that's never been me. And, and um, so that, that at that point was... was that, but so yeah, so I went in, did did the preseason, did all right actually, um, and then and then it just sort of fell by the wayside. And and do you think that that was that you needed to have that base level of fitness and dedication? It or, or did you feel that you fell fell down on on the technical side, or did you feel quite comfortable, you know, with your level against where the other players were technically? Yeah, I actually, you know, I felt really felt really comfortable actually. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't think for the reason the reasons that I didn't get a pro contract, I don't think was down to to football. I, I really don't. I might be wrong, and someone might tell me different. And, and you know, if they tell me different, I'll hold my hands up and say fair enough. Like, but I don't. I genuinely don't think it was down to football. I think there was there was other factors in it. Um, so no, I didn't. I didn't felt. I didn't feel like I was miles away and. Um, I, I felt extremely comfortable. I didn't feel like I was out, but in terms of 
the physical side, there was there was always a little bit, you know, there was always going to be a gap there because they've been doing it yearly and I just got into it and, and sort of was half arsing it a little bit. So moving on from, from crew. So I, I had a couple of podcasts now with, uh, with different people and, and we've spoke around the, the attitudes of, of dressing rooms and yeah. dressing rooms can be unforgiving places. Oh, now God. I, uh, as you know, uh, better than most, I'm quite old fashioned in, yeah. you know, a li- little bit of tough love. I don't think, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think people, if, you know, if you if you're too soft all the time, um, I just think that doesn't create a great environment for a football team, and particularly for youth players. That, as you said there, you know, when uh, when your son comes to you in future years, the one bit of advice you'd give him is you've really got to put it in. And I think in football now, I think we've probably pandered to players a little bit before they've even they've even earned, I suppose, any any type of stripes in the game. So for yeah. somebody that's that's gone from, you know, club to club and has, has been in and out of different dressing rooms, from you know, from your experience, what what are the challenges when joining a new football club? And I suppose what makes uh you know what makes a a, a strong team spirit when you're coming into to different dressing rooms and what really brings that unity together in the dressing room? Yeah, as you say, I've had my fair share of change, uh, changing rooms. So, you know, I've been in, I've been in all sorts of situations. So, I mean, going in there as a young, as a young lad, it, it's, you know, the, the biggest one is just sort of bide your time. So, you know, if you're going in there, all guns blazing, taking the taking the mickey out of the older lads straight away and you know giving it the big i am uh it, it doesn't bode well when you don't really know people um if you just bide your time sit down you know judge what's going on speak to someone speak to a few people get to know who's who you know who's a leader who's the most vocal who plays the music who does the fines and that way you get to you get to see who has what dynamic in in that changing room. I've always I guess I've always been lucky again that I've always probably known someone in the changing rooms to to latch on to 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 get that information and and to feel comfortable in that position. So um but you're right I mean the biggest issue for me is uh, players coming into a changing rooms who have been told by various different people that the next best thing in the world and the hindsight of it is you might have been you know in an academy to 16 17 but going into a non-league at 18 thinking you're going to be playing academy football you know you've got you there's a it's a long way to kansas sort of stuff so you know when you get on that pitch and you're wearing your white socks over your your, your footy socks and you've got orange and pink boots on the first thing any non-league dog will do there's a target on your back Hundred percent, and he's going to put you flying in the air. So then that you know, when you there's only so much mummy and daddy can tell you how good you are when you're six foot in the air, about to land on your head. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's no there's no teaching that. So it, that that makes or breaks a lot of players coming into a club. Can you take that physicality of any non-league club? Can you can you then stand up to that and and then earn your stripes to then be able to to be that guy of because there will be new players. There's there's almost likely to be a new player every week, easily, because that's just how the non league game is. So then you can then be that guy who 
is in that changing room and gets to make them feel welcome or or not so welcome, depending on on how you want to go down the route with that player. So, to be fair, we we always in any dressing room that we were in together, we always had a good handle on the the music oh. in the dressing room. To be fair. I mean, to be fair, I mean, what's our ritual, uh, Jay? When you're coming into a changing room with us, what have you got to show us? <laughs> <laughs> Steady the ship there, Jim. Let's not get... We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave that one in the locker room. We'll leave that to the imagination. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that, that's the key. I think, you know, when you see... There's so much... You know, there's a revolving door in, in non-league. And I, I think you find, with particularly with managers and certain players, if you have a good relationship with a manager in non-league, they often have a number of jobs and you'll find that they nearly take two or three lads with them wherever they go. Um, And I suppose from your side, you've had more managers than most. How have you, how have you seen the tactics change from, from manager to manager? Because maybe there's a perception that it's not that overly tactical in, in in non-league, but have you found that that's the case or, or would you argue to the contrary? It wholly depends on the manager, to be honest with you. So I've played for managers who probably haven't got any coaching badges. Um, and I've played for managers who have been pros and got the UEFA whatever continental license or UEFA or whatever it's called these days. So it can, it can wholly depend on, on that manager. Um, I've had managers who tell you to run around and kick people and boot it up to the big man and, and get the flick ons and, and everyone squeeze and, tackle and hit him and all that sort of stuff and I think that they were all my lines that you just <laughs> used there Jim <laughs> I know uh, so yeah I've played for them managers but you know some of the best managers I've had are the ones that have, have been pros and, and moved into the game so you know on that subject the best manager I had was was Dave Challoner um, and at Colwyn Bay at Colwyn Bay and at Fylde um, the other flip side and what made other, him so good Jim well, it was all, he was very technical. So he wanted you to play football. So he was, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but he was kind of like a, a Pep Guardiola of the, of the non-league. So he oh, hey, right. There's a title for the po- podcast, Dave Chalner, the Pep Guardiola of non-league. <laughs> non-league, yeah. Uh, until he transferred, listen to me anyway. But uh, <laughs> um, no, he wanted you to play football. He wanted you to get it down. He wanted you to play. The, the formation he played was, probably the most fluid formation that I've seen and it was your it was your standard 4-3-3 and this was before Klopp had come to the Premier League and this was before you know uh, Pep was in there or, or any of the foreign influx of managers were playing that system and it worked and, and we had great players that played that system well um, whereas you, you, we had other managers who, who just told you to, to boot it long and get knockdowns and turn them and, and aim for the channels. Um, but this is one thing that I always I always debate, right? And I think you know, you got a good insight when you're seeing the Pep Guardiola Man yeah. City documentary yeah. of the level of detail that, that yeah. he goes in. And and I spoke on the last couple of podcasts to to Christy, who I know you know, and and he obviously is a is an analyst and, and I would be of the thinking now, maybe I'm way off way off the mark here, but footballers are simple creatures and I don't think that they can take on board a high volume of information and in instructions. And I think footballers are at their best when they play on instinct. So uh, how much do you think is down to the manager's instructions 
or is it down to the technical ability of the players and their ability to make the right decision in the right moment? I would say it's both. Um, so obviously, you know, I've listened to, to the podcast and and uh, listened to what they what you said. And for me, it's like anything. So what we what we would train, what we would do with the managers that were technically good was repetition, um, and it, that would start in in pre season. So we would do phases of play constantly. So balls into full backs, into midfielders, turn into forward, he sets it, you play it out to your wingers and everyone fills into the box. Now, the more you do that, the more it becomes ingrained in, in your brain. The less time you have to do that, the less, and like you say, footballers and, and are quite simple on the pitch. So more information you get, kind of information overload. However, if you can do that repetition, it becomes second nature. So to do that phase of the play and how you want to play is just become natural. And that's when your technical abilities coincide with your tactics because you've done it so often. It's like, you know... Muscle like memory. Any, yeah, any good golf swing is by people. You can't become a scratch golfer by playing once a month you can, and not doing any any sort of practice on your swing or on your game. And it's the same with football. You can't become a, a premiership footballer overnight without having that work put into you on the training pitch where things you think you don't even realise that you're doing it. You know, you're moving into channels, you, you're spinning off your defender, you, you, you go into go and then come back inside. And when you've come inside, the forward then knows to run into the, the, the channel that you've left and the left-sided forward then comes in, very much like a Liverpool and a Man City play. They know, and we did it, we actually, again, so we watched a Barcelona video on the triangles that they played and the pivot that Busquets played in that, number six role and how the triangles were. So the full back into Busquets, into the right forward, and then Busquets would move or the right full back would move to create another triangle. The forward would then move in, which meant the left-sided player needed to come in, which would allow your left back to then push on uh, in a more advanced uh, role there. So the more that's ingrained and the more repetition that that's been done for you, you don't even think about it. It just happens naturally. Um, and I think and that's, that's why you're seeing now in Manchester City because you see it with Pep on the training field it's repetition 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 and you see now they're like the the Alamo running forward there's runners at angles everywhere and it just becomes it's second nature to them but as a defending team it must be an absolute nightmare to defend against oh uh, yeah yeah and and when you see them doing it and you know you see this in in a lot of teams where when you see a fluid movement of one forward moving out of position and someone else moving into a position. So if you've got you know, the difference between, you know, they're all professionals, but a Raheem Sterling as opposed to uh, a, a left back of, um, I don't know, let's say Cardiff or someone like that. If Raheem Sterling's moving out of his area and then a Sergio Aguero moves in, who does he pick up? He doesn't then know he could because he that's probably not what they work on. They work on more everyone fill in two banks of four and five, get behind the ball and try and break. So where Pep's moving players and the teams being fluid, you know, people stepping out of defence into midfield, midfielders moving from the inside midfield to wingers, wingers coming into inside midfield, 
that's an absolute nightmare for any player to to mark against because your you traditional your left back marks your right winger and your right back marks your left winger. So when people are moving all over the place, it, that makes it very difficult for any team to to move and and to to counteract that in in any way because it, it is just ingrained in their brains. Right now, that that leads me to to the last question, right? Because we're we're coming up to to forty five minutes now. So, um, the last question: If you uh, maybe you've answered it a little bit, but if you were to look back on your time in football and you're still playing now, so it's not like you've hung your boots up. Uh, if you were to right. look, yeah, if you were to look back at your time in football, would you have done anything differently with hindsight? Um, yeah. As I said previously, I'm I'm too I'm too laid back to, to and I've always had this, the the mindset of don't let anything that's in the past worry you because it, it's it's there for a reason. Now, you know, hindsight's a great thing, as, as you can as you say. So, you know, would I go back and and maybe put it in a bit harder? I I don't know because at the, end of, at the level I was there um, and where where. I don't think it would have been great to be a professional footballer, but would, you know, you're not earning Premier League money. So I don't know how much you would be on a lower league two club. You know, you probably maybe 500 quid a week. Now, that's a short life period, isn't it, for a footballer on that amount of money. You're not going to be able to retire on that. Hence why you see a lot of people, you know, a lot of, League Two, League One footballers become they often become like postmen or stuff like that. You you see it in in the papers every day. So in terms of that, yes, probably. I mean, for me, the, my biggest hindsight, I would just love to have. I would love to have enjoyed it more. There's been very few times in my football career where I've enjoyed it, and there was two one one when we were all together at Warrington. You know, I've never had to be split away from someone in training. <laughs> Uh, than than the time me and you had to be put in different groups because we were talking and distracting everyone, and that that is more that was more important to me than than the actual football. And then the second time is is my time at Leek Town before before I was sold to Fylde. And we had a great bunch of lads there that you've met at my wedding. You know, Tim Sanders, yeah, Christian Miller, uh, Ricky Bridge. Um, them lads and, and there's very few clubs that you'll go to in non-league and, and make true friends Why? hence why at the time at Warrington you know we had lads like Ant Daniels Tom Hardwick um, Chops uh, Chops uh, Brownie uh, Fitzy real genuine lads that you got on with um, and again at Leet Town Tim, Ricky and, and Christian all came to my wedding as did you, you know, you, you were an usher, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so it, for me, my biggest regret is not enjoying it as much as, as I, as I could have done. Um, and that, that will, that will be the biggest regret for me. Not, not, not made it, not, not having made it or not have played. And I've played in some great stadiums. I've played in, in, in cup finals. I've won trophies. As I said, I've been relegated, but I just wish I enjoyed it that little bit more than I did. It's funny you should say that because that you know now you know Josh is Josh is coming into his his football and 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 he's he's falling in love with the game and and I've said it many a time I fell out of love with football a, a long time ago and 
through him finding the game, it's yeah. made me fall back in love with it. Yeah. Because I think once you, maybe you were the same as me, once you show a bit of ability and once you reach a certain level, there's a lot of expectation that comes with that. Um, mm. With that expectation to deliver game after game, and that, that could be playing in your Sunday team where – you know, the, the lads are looking at you to score three goals a game or it could be semi-pro, pro, whatever it may be, with that expectation. When I was in the game, I very much, I didn't take the game in. Do no. you know what I mean? It just, it happens so quickly that you just, and I'd always find on a Saturday night, I always remember, that I think we played, uh, it was away at Chester. And I remember that, you know, it was, a, it was for non-league, it was a big game. I think it was three and a half thousand. You played for Chester. So it was, it was about, Chester, yeah, yeah. about three and a half thousand or whatever it was, attendance there, 3,000. And, you know, you'd come away and, and and it was only after the game I'd find that I'd enjoy it because I'd relax after the game. It, the actual game itself, I never really enjoyed it that much. I, I enjoyed being with the lads beforehand. I enjoyed being with the lads after. I, I particularly enjoyed if we had a coach journey away from home, coming back, getting beers on the coach and, and having a laugh. But the actual football side of things probably took a took a back seat, which, and I'd probably be the same as you, I think. And this is why I'm so mindful of it with Joshua now. Yeah. First thing I always say to him is, have fun today, mate. That's because yeah. that's what it should be. It should just be, oh, have fun first. The rest will follow. And and you know, I I I'm managing a team now, and and I've been in in enough changing rooms to know when people have been told by certain people that they're the next best thing, and they're going to be this, uh, that, and the other. And at the end of the day, the likelihood of any any you know, it's what one percent of people will become professional footballers. Um, and if anyone ever asked for some advice, it would be to relax and enjoy the game because if, and that's probably, uh, one of the, <laughs> one of the, uh, greatest things that my, my stepdad, um, ever was, was to me. He wasn't one of them parents who would be like, look how great James is. Not when I was there anyway, if, you know, I'm pretty sure he might've said it when I wasn't there, but. Whenever I was there, it was always, well, actually, what could you have done better? And that's where a lot of parents aren't going these days. It's, look how great he is. Why is everyone else not as good as my son? It should always be about having fun. But it should, if you're not challenging yourself to do better, then you'll never get to that next step. And that's what I never was able to do, was to challenge myself to write, what could I do differently and what can I do better? Um, and if you can't do that as a young footballer, you're never going to get anywhere in the game because it, it there'll be, as as I think it was Joey Barton recently said, that if you're going into a changing room, you've got to take one of them players' shirts off them. So what are you going to do that they aren't doing? And if they're a, mo- a model pro, how are you going to get that shirt off of them? So, you know, that's 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 the biggest issue in, in, in youth and and you know, players coming from youth football to, to adult football. Jim, that was an absolute pleasure, mate. I uh, I think, as I said, we've been we've been good friends now for a long time. And that's probably the first serious or relatively serious football chat I think we've ever had. So, uh, so that's the longest hour where we've not insulted each other. <laughs> well, you can start insulting me once I've stopped recording, mate. Good. Brilliant. Thank you very much, mate. It's been my All absolute right, pleasure. All the best. Thanks for having me. All the best. So there it is. 
episode four of the Boot Room podcast. From a personal perspective, it was great to get to sit and talk to Jimmy about footballers. It's not something that he does a lot. I don't think people realise the dedication and sacrifices that non-league players have to make in order to play football and balance everyday life. So I really appreciate Jimmy's honesty and insight. So it's that time of the week again when I ask you all to please leave a rating and review on iTunes or send the podcast to one of your mates that you think will enjoy it. The ratings and reviews help the podcast get noticed, so if you can spare two minutes to leave one, that would be very much appreciated. I love hearing all your feedback, so please continue to message me on Twitter at Jamie Home and let me know what you think of the show. So that's enough from me. That just leaves me to say I hope you all have a lovely week and I'll be back next week with more from the Boot Room Podcast. All the best. Bye.